Hello, and welcome to the 12th episode of Inside the Brain Of, where I'll interview a manual therapist to get inside their brain and try to understand how they incorporate neurokinetic therapy into their approach to patient or client management. My name is Eric Nelson. I'm a board-certified sports chiropractor and NKT instructor. If you're listening and you're not an NKT provider, hopefully this podcast will give you some insight as to what NKT is and how you can utilize it to help your patients or clients. So make sure you check out my Facebook page, the Inside Your Brain Facebook page, and make sure you like it and share it with all your friends that might be interested in NKT. Also, these podcasts are now available on iTunes, so if you do utilize iTunes and enjoy the podcast, make sure you write a positive review. Thank you. Well, this past weekend I had the pleasure of uh, teaching a level one class in Denver, and I have to say it was definitely, I think, one of the best classes I've taught. The students were phenomenal. The location was was perfect. And uh, not only did I share a lot of uh, knowledge with uh, new students, but I definitely um, took a couple things away from the class myself, and I, I posted on Facebook as well, but I thought I would uh, share with you just so you can get an idea of how um, we NKT instructors kind of think. And uh, that is we're always open for change and suggestions, and you know we want to make the class learning experience as good as we can. And at one point, um, the students asked me, if I would uh, call out all the test names and we can practice them all together. And um, that's not something, you know, we traditionally do, uh, but I have to say it went over extremely well, and I repeated that technique a couple times throughout the weekend, and I think that the students um, really got a lot out of that and were able to actually learn the test. And and, and by reviewing it, it actually drilled it in. So it was a great uh, tool to use for this for the students. So I, I thank all my students for this weekend for teaching me uh, a, a new technique that I, I will utilize in all my classes because it was just wonderful. So again, uh, we're always open for learning and improving our classes. And uh, if you have any suggestions, you can always feel free to email us uh, because we don't mind that kind of stuff. We, we, want, we want what's best for the students. Also, uh, two weeks ago, I had the privilege of taking the Level 1 Anatomy and Motion class uh, from uh, from Gary Ward and Chris Sitherin from uh, from London, and oh, it was it was absolutely incredible. And I'm I'm looking forward to taking Level 2 and another uh, two weekends and uh, learning more of that stuff. It was absolutely phenomenal. I've been uh, implementing it with my patients, and it works perfectly with NKT and. It's just an amazing thing. It's all about gait assessment, and I won't go into all the details, but one cool thing about the class was it was uh, everyone but one person in the class was an NKT provider. So I got to meet people from all over the country for the first time, and it, it was absolutely amazing. And In fact, four out of the 11 people I've interviewed for the podcast were actually there, Jamie Francis, Kathy Dooley, Joseph Schwartz, and Andrew Riley. Perry almost made it there, but at last minute um, he was unable to m- make it there. So I w- it was very exciting to hang out with uh, some people I've interviewed for the podcast. So again, I'm really excited to take level two in a, in a couple weeks, and, and hopefully, uh, I mean, these classes just sold out, so I'm sure they're going to be back uh, sooner rather than later, and I highly recommend their class. So one thing I wanted to also talk about today um, that I think uh, is positive for students to help the learning experience is assisting at NKT courses. I just had a couple assistants out in Denver, and um, they really did a wonderful job. And each of them had their uh, strengths and, and weaknesses as far as they're just learning NKT as well. But I, by the end of the weekend, I definitely saw something in each of them that they definitely improved their game or took their game to the next level. I mean, when you can teach something, that's truly when you know that you understand it. And um, sharing the knowledge that you have, as little as it may seem, is way more uh, than any of the other uh, new students have. So believe me, they greatly appreciate it. And, um, you know, they appreciate your time and your experience. And, again, it's a win-win situation. The, the students enjoy it. They enjoy your experience. And, um, and, and you will definitely learn something as well. So I highly recommend if you're serious about NKT, really think about assisting at a course. You know, some, I know some of you don't have courses near you, but it's such an 
amazing part of the learning experience that I even highly recommend you travel uh, to assist, and it, it is worth it. As an assistant, you have to be certified level one, so it kind of gets you in gear to do that, and then also um, it really, um, you know, it's, it's really something that, that you can help tremendously out um, with us. So we greatly appreciate the assistance, but again, it's it's a good thing for you to do as well to improve your knowledge as well. So I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, so please, um, you know, consider doing that. Excellent. So I started this podcast again because uh, there's so many incredible practitioners that utilize uh, this technique and neurokinetic therapy, and I'm always curious about how they incorporate it into their practice. Because uh, there's there's so many different people, chiropractors, physical therapists, we've got massage therapists, medical doctors, osteopaths, acupuncturists, uh, rolfers, trainers, yoga instructors, Pilates instructors, kettlebell instructors, strength and conditioning coaches. There was a golf pro at my um, class last weekend. It, it, it's absolutely amazing how many people are there and how much knowledge they bring to the table. I know uh, one of the students was a long-time uh, rolfer and instructor and just extremely knowledgeable uh, person. Uh, we had some people that use applied kinesiology for over 20 years take the course. Uh, there, it, it's just so many amazing things, and listening to how they're going to utilize it with their uh, patients is just uh, it's mind-blowing. It really is. So I decided to have this podcast so that I can you know, interview as many NKT providers as I can to kind of get inside their head to see, you know, how they utilize it. Because, again, we all come from different backgrounds, and we all use it in different ways. Uh, some of us deal with patients in pain, and some of us purely for a performance uh, aspect. And that's it's, it's absolutely amazing on, on both of those levels. And, again, I always like to say, and I say it in my class multiple times, too, NKT doesn't have the answer for everything. So we're not telling you to forget everything you know or, or don't use any other techniques or don't learn it. No, that's not what NKT is about. You know, it's a, it just opens your mind to a whole new perspective, and it's just a great tool to utilize to help your patients. And the results I've been seeing and the results other practitioners have been seeing are absolutely phenomenal. So, again, the reason I started this podcast was to get inside their brain to kind of see how they utilize NKT in their everyday practice. So tonight I'm excited to speak with a person who I've been aware of uh, for a while now as he constantly posts inspiring and extremely thoughtful posts that somehow seem to capture my exact thoughts and feelings on many different levels. Uh, he has some very insightful posts to new practitioners as well as advanced practitioners. His clinical knowledge is, is top-notch, and um, like I said, I've been aware of him for a while, so I'm really excited to tonight to get inside the brain of physical therapist Michael Jackson. So, hey, Michael, how you doing? Hey, Eric. Pretty good, pretty good. Thank you for having me here tonight. Uh, it's it's my pleasure. Like I said, you know, I've been aware of you for a while, and your your posts have been amazing. And we'll get into that in a little in a little bit. But um, you know, uh, first I'd like to know you know a little bit about your background. Uh, where did you go to school? When did you graduate? Sure, sure. I um, how much time do you have? No, I'm just kidding. I uh, I graduated from a State University in New York in Brooklyn back in uh, 1996. This was way before they had a doctor of physical therapy degree. Um, that was with my bachelor's. And then um, I did my postgrad work for master's in orthopedic manual physical therapy at uh, Thoreau College. <clears throat> and uh, pretty much uh, from there, I wasn't satisfied with just physical therapy training and education. Um, I went back to school and had a, a, got a degree in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport in uh, Connecticut. Hmm. Interesting. And um, did you? When did you go into? Uh, did you go right into uh, physical therapy practice too, or did you? Or oh yeah, yeah, right off the bat, right off the bat from uh, undergrad, I uh, started working in a in a city hospital, Coney Island Hospital in Brooklyn, um, for a couple of years. Got my feet wet with uh, several different rotations, inpatient and outpatient, and uh, bedside. And um, from there, from also from the get go, I was also doing part time work in. Um, private practices, and then I finally opened up my own uh, my own private practice. Uh, it was a home office back in 2002, and 
had that until about 2005, but, oh, 2002 to 2007, I'm sorry. And then after that, 2007, I uh, stopped accepting insurances and did more uh, out-of-pocket work, um, more health consultations, more personal training, nutrition work, etc. So I um, kind of went back and forth, and uh, to make a long story short, I went back into purely just a physical therapy mode or practice. And uh, this this year, actually, I'm starting to accept um, insurance. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that later on. But uh, pretty much uh, I had a very diverse uh, a diverse career so far. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of everything in there. <laughs> Definitely. Um, now, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so while you were doing all that stuff, <coughs> Oh, excuse me. Um, you took you obviously took some continuing education classes. So, um, what are some classes that you had taken uh, that really kind of shaped how you practice today? Yeah, early on, um, right after graduation, I got into the McKenzie courses: um, mechanical back pain, mechanical cervical thoracic pain, and uh, that that was a good good start for a beginner because that introduced me. To the whole concept of um, see the patient move, make a modification, and then see if it made any changes, um, which for many sounds familiar as a movement assessment or like SFMA or FMS or whatever it may be. Um, so I, I learned that, and I thought that was that was like the main thing I learned from uh, the McKenzie uh, approach. And then um, from there, I took all the standard physical therapy courses in grad school and my graduate work at Tarot, um, part of the training was taking pretty much one or two uh, continuing education courses every single month. And their program was based a lot on the osteopathic uh, approach um, from the uh, the works of uh, Philip, Philip Greenman, osteopath from uh, Michigan State University, I believe. And so a lot of the uh, treatment of... Uh, treatment of the somatics, so to speak, using muscle energy techniques and all that stuff. And then other part of the program was uh, from the works of Greg and Vicki Johnson of the Institute of Physical Arts and the whole functional movement uh, world, so to speak. So I did a lot of, uh, those are the typical physical therapy uh, continuing education courses. And But I wasn't satisfied because I saw a lot of these patients, and uh, I was treating them uh, based on what I was uh, trained in, and a lot of them weren't getting better, and I assumed because a lot of them weren't in shape, so I got into the world of strength and conditioning and personal training, and that's where I uh, found out about this guy named Paul Cech, and I was just floored by his, his, his knowledge from just ordering some of his videos, and then... Uh, for a few years, I was like, who is this guy? Is he a physical therapist? What kind of manual therapist is he? He was a neuro, uh, neuromuscular therapist and uh, as well as a trainer, and he just got results where other therapists and other clinicians uh, were, weren't getting any. So I wanted to learn from him, and he, he's pretty much his work. Uh, I pretty much followed him and, and took all his training and became one of the first American uh licensed physical therapist to go through his full program. He has like four levels of it or whatever. And um, he really opened my eyes to uh, the possibilities or he provided a template for me to look at the body, not just as a physical body, but to to look at what I call a threefold nature of the human being, which is the body, the soul, and spirit. And he actually gave me, uh, he stroked the fire, so to speak, ignited, ignited the flame, so to speak, in me to further investigate the, those avenues and looking at the uh, the individual as a human being and how that affects uh, how I treat or how I work uh, with the individual who we call as a patient or client. Excellent. So, yeah, I would imagine um, working for someone else, that's, that, <laughs> that's going to be a little tough when you kind of have a philosophy uh, like that, right? I mean, I would say... Oh, boy. I could tell you so stories. Far, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm a chiropractor, and um, you know, one thing I, you know, I like about what I do is I, right from the start, I can I open up my own thing. But 
so many physical therapists I know have to, you know, work for a hospital or work for a different practice. And, you know, they're a little stifled by, you know, they have to follow the protocols they're given. So it sounds like uh, you kind of <laughs> came up with a whole different approach right out of the gate almost. So how did how did you make that work? Well, it wasn't easy. I'll be honest. Um, you're pretty much going going against the going against the grain, and uh, when you do that, you really have to you have to be creative and find ways to. I'll admit, I uh, I, I might have, I guess, in a way, you could say, I, I might have freaked some people out in the beginning because it was just all new 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 areas to explore. Right. Nobody uh, knew how to respond or react to it. Um, but you know, my intention was always to do the best for the, the patient and to help them. And so I've, uh, I guess, I've grown or evolved in a way to not even have to go to that to those areas to uh, to help somebody. Meaning, um, if someone comes to me, uh, people are going to come to you based on a hat that you're wearing that they can identify with. So they're going to come to you as a chiropractor. They're going to come to me as a physical therapist. And for me, it's more of like I'm at a point where I don't have to talk about any of the other stuff, quote unquote. You know, so their emotional, mental issues, or uh, or even forbid, you know, any of the soul, spiritual stuff that I don't really talk about that that much uh, lately um, because I don't really see there's a need for it. Things just happen, and now nowadays, um, I let the patient. Uh, I basically let them dictate where the treatment's going to go, so to speak, as far as where they are at this point in their life. So meaning my, my treatment or the way I work with them is I'll start with from where they are, where in the beginning, where I was in my, my self-righteous health Nazi, like I want to save the world mode, rescuer mode, I would be like, mm, I could tell you have this and you have that. And, and they would be like, well, you know, they would get more freaked out. And, uh, but, you know, it was a learning, it was a learning process. So we make a lot of mistakes and I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, afraid to make mistakes because that's where I learn the best. And and so uh, and it's not that I look to go out to to make mistakes, but it's more of um, you, you really you could theorize and you could think about things from reading books or from listening to somebody else or from learning from other teachers. But unless you actually step fully into that experience, regardless if it's a success or a failure, uh, you're 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 not really going to get far uh, as far as your growth. Um, as a, a clinician or even as a, as a person. <laughs> oh, I, I agree 100%. Now, so in so in your uh, your experience of learning, where did uh, how did you find out about NKT? Well, that was um, that was uh, pretty much like everybody else. I mean, Terry Nicholson <laughs> stopped chasing pain. You know, you're perusing through Facebook and you'll see a couple of posts and and I was like neurokinetic therapy, muscle testing, and I was like, well. I had some I had some background in muscle testing uh, when I was doing my nutrition consulting. Um, I actually did some muscle testing called uh, nutrition response testing from a chiropractor named Freddie Ewan in Florida, and it's basically a, a modified version of AK, uh, specifically towards uh, nutrition and supplements, and you could uh, muscle test. Uh, how people's organs are doing and make relationships and associations. So as a physical therapist, that blew my mind. And, and I had it done on me and I, I felt the results and that's when I was sold. And so um, I did that for a couple of years and I was getting really well at it, getting, really, uh, getting pretty good at it. And then uh, I was convinced to go to go out to Florida to do some intermediate to advanced training. And then I realized, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, nutrition response testing, um, they were pretty much a bunch of L. Ron Hubbard like cult type no, things, no. <laughs> and uh, they, they, I don't want to say they're you know you know or whatever, but like let's just say that I didn't go through their advanced training. I was just like, oh, are you kidding me? So you know, I took what I got when I learned and benefit from that, and but I stopped doing it not because of that. So I'm not going to judge a group because of you know the way they hold their business. Um, I saw the benefits that I was helping patients, but what I what I stopped doing it for is because he was promoting too much of a passivity or victimhood where clients would come in, I'd test them, okay, this is what your supplements test out for, okay, and then they would just say, oh, I can do whatever I want, whatever, and I, you know, I'll just come to you, get to them, I'll correct myself. Like, no, no, so I stopped that because it, it, it just, you know, um, 
I just didn't like the way it was uh, it was promoting that. So. Excellent. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Definitely, you got to do what um, you think is right. Oh, to go back, I'm sorry. To go back to your question about NKT, um, when uh, when Perry brought David into uh, New York City, Manhattan, for that first class back in 2011. Um, that was a class that I went to, and I remember it was like yesterday. And uh, I, you know, I just first, so I first met Perry, and from that first, it was a, a Friday night. He started with a lecture, and from what he was just talking about the theory, it instantly, it, like, it rung, it resonated with me. I was like, wow, this is kind of what I, how I've been practicing, but like, I didn't have, I didn't have a modality to actually uh, measure it or to actually, you know, validate it. Uh, through the muscle testing. I didn't think of it. I, it was all mostly theoretical. And, um, but with NKT, right away, it clicked just because it made sense um, of, of the whole process. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how I felt as well, too. It's kind of amazing when, when it presents it. So, so obviously you think it's a great technique for physical therapists, and physical therapists should probably incorporate it in their practices. Well, well here's the thing. Um, when I was working for other offices, and, and, and today, today as well with physical therapy, as, you, as you're aware, um, with the insurance game, there's uh, back, I've been practicing for 18 years, and back in my day, four patients an hour was a lot. Now, the standard is between four to six, in some offices, eight, four to eight patients an hour. And, I mean, that's, that's, that's criminally insane. But you know that's that's part of the business, the dark side of the business, uh, of, you know, running a practice or whatnot. So anyway, what I found was I I was working in a practice, a multidisciplinary practice, um, chiropractic, uh, medical, and physical therapy, and I was head of the, the PT department. So I was the head PT, and I was seeing all the new patients, and I was seeing between I'd say 40 to 50 patients a day, and to see that many patients. You only have so so much time because patients think they're there for an hour, but right. actual contact one-on-one -on -one time with me was probably between, depending on the insurance, about five to fifteen minutes tops. So when uh, when I learned NKT, I mean, I was you know I was okay before because I've been doing this for a while, and you, and you get to know, uh, you get to, to to kind of get a feel, clinical feel and patterns just from experience. But what NKD, what NKT helped me with was help me streamline that, streamline the process, refine it, and really pinpoint um, specific areas, the primary areas. So if I only had between 5 and 15 minutes with a patient, at least I'm going to give them the best 5 or 15 minutes that's going to be direct to their, to their, um, to their situation. So I called it more of a, a, and this is how I also practice, is a bow and arrow approach where a uh, bow and arrow is much more accurate and can hit the target. Um, with less explosiveness, let's say, as a shotgun, which is more generalized, and you just throw everything in the kitchen sink at the, at the patient and hope something hits. But with NKT, I was a little bow and arrow, and I would find the primary relationships when I was testing them, and then I would give them uh, the homework, I would do it with them, and I would teach them to, to, to do their, their program at home, and then that would be the whole session, I mean, the time with me. And then I was finding that patients were actually getting better faster, and the management didn't like it because patients, they were getting a lot of new patients to come in, but these patients weren't coming back because they were getting better. So on the business side, it sucked, but on the, uh, on the clinical side, it was awesome. And so that's why uh, I'm a big advocate for I'm trying to tell other PTs, it's like if you're working in a private practice or an outpatient um, setting, I think you've got to take NKT um, if you really care about your patients because, you know, sometimes you get these patients, if you get uh, a no-fault or a worker's comp, and you're like, oh, what's going on? i got 10 million things going on with them. But with NKT, you could find right away um, what the primary relationships are, and you don't have to waste any other time. And then the patients could feel it, you know, the difference uh, when you show them. And so I think it's a must. If I was, like, president of all – if I was the lord of all physical therapists in America, I would say part of your licensure, you got to take NKT. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good plan. Let's uh, get that going. <laughs> Lord of all PTs. I like that title. <laughs> <laughs> Lord of all PTs. Oh, that would be funny. 
<clears throat> All right. So, well, uh, you just you mentioned that you uh, just started accepting insurance. How come you decided to get back in that game? Well, there's a couple of, a couple of reasons. One, um, from a business business uh, standpoint, I just opened uh, a new practice on 11th Street in Manhattan um, out of Physique, the private training studio, uh, last year. And last year, I didn't accept any insurance whatsoever. And, but I also had limited hours because my current situation with the kids and my wife, um, I watch the kids during the day. She works. She comes home. We play tag team. I go to work at night. So I had a very limited practice. I still do um, up until actually June where I have babysitting. My in-laws come from Peru. But anyway, um, business-wise, it wasn't with the economy and everything. And, and when you open, when you start a new practice in a new neighborhood, you basically start from scratch. People don't know you, and you know you gotta you gotta hit the ground and, and do the the groundwork. So um, I said, uh, let me open, let me start accepting insurances this year. And then I started getting all spiritual, and my wife reminded me about this stuff. It's like, you know, what if there's somebody that really wanted to work with you, and but, you know they didn't have the money, and all they, all they had was this insurance. Let's say they had the worst insurance in New York, which. What I mean by worst is, is is the lowest reimbursing, like GHI. And, you know, what if they sincerely, they really wanted to get better, and they, they heard you were good, they referred to you by somebody, but they didn't have the money to pay out of pocket. What are you going to do, turn them away? Are you going to, you know, you're going to send them to the other practices where you know they're not going to get any good care because, you know, GHI doesn't pay that much, and people could be weird like that. So, you know, I, I had that little, that little aha, like, human moment, of, you know, that, that being a human being moment of, you know, a lot of this is, is way beyond like what, what, about money and how things. I know I have to pay my rent and I have to put food on the table, but you know there, there's certain circumstances where if somebody comes up to you. But I think a lot of people, because um, right now trained in physical therapy, the ones that have more experience and the ones that are good, at least in Manhattan, is they're not accepting insurance anymore because they're fed up with the insurance uh, process. So they're all out of pocket. They're all charging over 200, 250, you know, a session and whatever, and you know they're, they're, that's that's the high the high cost of having a practice in Manhattan. But like that's the trend, and more and more people, uh, more and more therapists are doing that, leaving the people that can't afford that to go to the chop shops or the the, the practices that are more like mills um, that have uh, lesser experienced therapists or therapists that are just really under a lot of stress, and they're seeing like 10 patients an hour. So you really can't expect much as far as how much attention you're going to get. But that some some patients have, they think they have no choice in the matter. So the way I look at it is, I mean, I'm not building my practice on insurance right now. Since I started this year accepting insurance, uh, I really I maybe have like less than a handful of insurance patients. All my other clients and patients pay out of pocket. Um, but... I like to be available if I have a lot of experience or if I have something uh, that can benefit people. I, I don't want to be so uh, bourgeois or like uh, snotty like I was because I have, I, I was going to say had, but I have, I had a big ego, but before my big ego <laughs> was so full of myself that I was like, oh, I'm Michael Hobson. I, I, you know, I'm, I do this. I've, I've done that. And I can't. And then I was like, you know, my wife, she, she grounds me. That's what wives are for. Um, she reminded me of these things, and I was like, you know what? It's not about the money. There's, there's another human being in front of me genuinely asking for help. So I'm all, I'm all about being flexible. I'm all about being real with other people. And, um, and, and, I, and you know, I, I, I find ways to come into balance. I compromise on certain things, and I make deals that uh, – each party has to agree on, and we both come out happy, you know. So um, I'm no longer the greedy. I want to be successful and, you know, have this or that. Um, you know, to be honest, after, because uh, I live in, my wife and I, we live in Howard Beach, and after Hurricane Sandy, I had my home office pretty much four, four to five feet of water. We were flooded out. We live on the first floor. And we lost everything material, but we gained everything spiritually even more so because, um I used to have so much stuff, and then after the flood, I had to let go of a lot of stuff, and I had to learn how to live with less. And I, it was actually a blessing in disguise because now that's 
that's how I pretty much live my life is, you know, do I really need this or do I really need that? And it's like, not really. So it's like, you know, I'm happy with or without it. And, you know, a lot of times we think we need more. Like, for example, I mean, I'm just like everybody else in our fields and in, in the, the clinical field is I used to take every course under the sun. I used to take every book. I had like six or seven bookcases of books, books. And, and, and I, I, used to, I used to be a course fiend because I wanted more. I wanted to accumulate so much knowledge. And then I realized, you know what, how much more information can you possibly cram into your, your, your Filipino bald head w- without, like, you know, how much, you are, how, much of you, how much of that are, are you absorbing? You know, is it practical or useful? So I, I calmed down over here. That's why I don't take a lot of courses. That's why I'm not too concerned about getting certified in too many things. Um, I, I basically do, uh, like what Bruce Lee used to say, that old saying of, you know, he said something like, keep what's useful and discard what's not useful or something on that in that line where uh, I, I like to keep things super simple now and it's almost as if you could say less is more um, and that's why I, I, it really resonates with that bow and arrow approach as far as my practice uh, practice philosophy um, I like yeah what was your question no I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> insurance <laughs> Oh, there you go. Lawyer <laughs> physical therapy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that well, that actually, you're actually leading right into my next thing that I'm looking on the screen. Um, what I'm going to ask you next, which you know, in your bio, you mention <clears throat> energy medicine and shamanism. So, uh, what's that all about, and where does that fit in? Oh, um, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who told you that. No, I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> that see that. <laughs> I was introduced to uh, to the shamanism um, from my work with Paul Cech. Um He really opened my, my eyes to a whole different world um, and just possibilities in helping others. And um, it's funny, I actually did training with uh, a guy named Alberto Velodo, who's uh, he's pretty popular as a medical anthropologist, and he studied with some of the, the remaining uh, ancestors of the ancient civilization of the, 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 the Inca, the, the Kiro Nation in the Andes in Peru. And uh, synchronicity, life is flow. So all these things kind of, there's no sense in life. It's just, things just happen in a flow uh, when you accept it. So uh, I did training with Alberto Velodo in his uh, Healing the Light Body School, and which, by the way, my wife did it with me. And if anybody needs marriage counseling, I think that's the best form of marriage counseling is to go through that training um, because you really, uh, it's very experiential. Uh, you really have to dig deep inside of you and, basically take out all your shit because um, we all we all we all have stinking bs that we're all embarrassed over we try to hide but you we all know that we can't really hide it but we do our best to try but when you address your stuff um it really helps your relationships with others and i think that should be a number one requirement in all medical schools and and uh, chiropractic physical therapy anybody in the healing arts and the healing professions there should be a whole process of like where they have to deal with their own stuff and what I mean stuff is their own limiting beliefs, their old uh, patterns that are not serving them, um, all these things, all these things that are basically based on fear, on based on things that, that are non-existent, so to speak, the things that our ego mind makes up um, to, uh, I guess you could say, protect us or as a protective mechanism. But in reality, when it, it uh, goes past its expiration date, so to speak, it actually causes uh, more layer upon layers of uh, compensations. And I can relate this back to the body and how the body uh, at a pain state goes into a guarding state and just starts to tighten up and increases the, the tone and, and starts to create a crude sense of stability and causes more compression in the joints. And then what it really means when we, when we treat these patients is to teach them how to disengage, um, to disengage those facilitated or compensated muscles that don't really have to work anymore because they're they're surviving or working on a story that's no longer working for them based on the past and it's preventing them from living in the present and the now of like what's before us right now. So the, the shaman stuff, people have different uh, ideas and they're kind of weird at times what that means. I mean, I had my brother-in-law kind of like try to like help me or something and then family get-togethers because he read on Facebook that I was doing shaman work and this and that. Because he just he was he, he he would you know try to make fun of me in front of everybody but like because uh, he didn't understand what that meant 
And this is how I learned how to be as authentic as I can be or truthful to myself. Um, it didn't bother me because uh, the training that uh, I went through just helped me understand that we're all connected or interconnected, as they say, um, and that if anybody, if you have issues with anybody, it's really a blessing in disguise and that it's some kind of a reflection um, on an issue that you may or may not be aware of. And uh, it's actually very, actually very beautiful uh, when, you, when you have that kind of perspective. So I don't promote uh, my energy medicine, my energy work, or shamanic work as much as a physical therapy, only because it may drive it, uh, it, it, people have different perceptions of what that is. And to be honest, um, when that shaman work and the energy work is necessary, it shows up regardless. So, for example, I may get a consult from, see, I see a lot of people from out of town or, you know, people hear, hear about me, whatever they recommend me. So when they're in New York City, they come and make an appointment with me, whatever. So I see, uh, uh, and I've been doing this since 2008. So I see people who may appear with uh, physical uh, symptoms, uh, multiple physical symptoms, and they've seen like a lot of people. They had ten different diagnoses. They had they've been treated by some of the you know, some really good clinicians, and they would get better, but it was still linger, you know, hang around. So, you know, when I finally get to see them in person, there's, there's always something. I always sense something's going on. And shamans and shamans speak, we call that tracking. When you're tracking somebody, the same thing as when you're just assessing somebody, but on another uh, non-physical level. And you just sense some things are going on, but you don't, you know, you can't really label them or judge them because you really don't know what's going on. So you just observe and you're just there for that person. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, things just disengage, not just physically, emotionally, mentally, as well as on an energetic, uh, a spiritual level, let's say, where things just happen. And, and in shaman speak, we call that more of a, uh, well, I guess in popular terms, you have to see the exorcist uh, possessions, so to speak. But I don't want to go there because people don't, that's when people start to disengage from the conversation because they're like, oh, oh. But in all seriousness, it's uh, the way I like to explain it with not, with, without getting too, like, uh, what I call hooey-pooey or just, like, you know, too hippie-ish, being too hippie for others, is some people are holding on to stuff that they don't even realize they're holding on to. Um, for so long that when somebody uh, points it out to them or helps or helps them pay more attention to it, um, things just release. Um, it could be in the form of crying. It could be in the form of just shaking all over the place. Like, it looks like they're having a seizure. It could look like uh, uh, they'll just have thoughts in their mind and they'll just start speaking things out, you know, speaking in tongues, as you could say. You know, everybody's different. No one could predict. I, I can never predict uh, what's going to happen when I when I see a new patient or a client. So I used to promote this and say, "Oh yeah, I do energy work. Yeah, I did shaman work. I worked with Alberto Valodo, Blah blah blah. So people used to come specifically for that. What I noticed is it's no different than when people say, "Oh, I heard you're a great chiropractor, a physical therapist, and you do great manual work." Oh, you know, and then they go from clinician to clinician to clinician. Um, and as in a way, they're, they're trying to hide responsibility. They're trying to have somebody else fix them, quote, unquote. And then in the energy, in the shaman world, we have the same situation. People that are very sensitive to uh, to uh, these other energies, let's say, they'll go from shaman to shaman to shaman, you know. And then some people, they have a, a, a belief that, oh, you're a shaman, so you do uh, you do mushrooms, you do LSD, you do 5-MeO-DMT, you do blah, blah, blah. I'm like... No, um, I actually, my approach is to actually teach people to uh, connect with their higher selves, as you could say, or connect with that part of them, um, uh, their soul, spiritual nature, as you could say, um, without having to resort to uh, ethnotheogens um, or ayahuasca or all these like, mystical, you know, plants, plant medicines. So my path or my journey has been able to find that and... Uh, not bottle it up, but to teach others how to uh, reach that or access that whenever they need to, to keep them grounded and, and to be a fruitful, uh, contributing uh, human beings in service of others.
Awesome. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense, definitely. Now, in your, so in your practice, uh, you know, before you said you were you got into, you know, personal training and health consulting, um, is that what you're doing now, or are you just now focusing, I mean, your primary thing is physical therapy and, you know, whatever happens, happens? Yeah, right now it's more of a, a physical therapy and personal training. I actually have a, a program called Treat, or Train, Treat and Train, where you get the best of both worlds of a therapist and a trainer um, uh, working with you on your program. So it's kind of like yeah, depending on, you know, if you're an athlete or if you're just the average person who just wants to be more healthy, um, each session or your, your, your program is, is based on your um, individual evaluation, uh, what areas, what your goals are, what areas based on the assessment. Um, and if you do have any histories of injuries or anything like that or problem areas, um, it's all specified um, like the bow and arrow approach, but geared not just to the treating, but to, to obviously training. So, for example, if you want to get strong, if you want to increase your bench press, your squat, um, you know, it would be treating, treat whatever uh, muscle imbalances or joint dysfunctions or whatever may be based on the assessment, and then training to that point. Um, it's 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 a nice that's where NKT comes in uh, where you, you could find those imbalances really quick and then you could uh, the proof is in the pudding when you put them through the motions in a squat or a deadlift or whatever whatever uh, lift or movement they want to improve on you can do it right then and there so you know, I, I understand in in today's information age there's a lot of great trainers. Um, out there that have very eclectic uh, backgrounds, and they take a little bit from the rehab world, performance world, strength conditioning, etc. So uh, there's a uh, very, uh, uh, I guess you say, thin line between what separates a trainer and a therapist or whatnot. And it can get confusing to the public, but um, as long as you create those boundaries so that the, the client, uh, the client knows, you know, what your professional boundaries are. Um, uh, but what's good about that is with me, I do have a license as a physical therapist and uh, also having a background in strength and conditioning from way back when, um, you know, which I started right after physical therapy school. So it's nice to have it too. And that's also very common. You see clinicians with uh, personal training or strength and conditioning backgrounds. Um, it's a nice mix. And that's another thing. I, I, I noticed that the uh, you're a board-certified uh, sports uh, chiropractic physician, so you, this totally resonates with you, is that in sports medicine, if you ever want to know what's going to be the next trend as far as uh, rehab, performance, and training, conditioning, et cetera, you look into the sports uh, sports medicine fields. See what they're using with professional athletes because these guys are worth millions of dollars, and they're going to use whatever is the best form of treatment to get them going. Um, and... and that's going to be the cutting edge, and then it starts to trickle down to everybody else in the non-sports professional world. So look at uh, DNS blew up. Uh, postural restoration is, is, is blew up before; it's blowing up even more. You look at the work of Andreas Spina. Um, you know his work is just going to get even bigger. You know, okay. and now NKT is starting to trickle into those areas, but uh, into the sports fields um, sooner rather than later. But uh, things like Postural Restoration Institute, PRI work. Um, I mean, if the Arizona Diamondbacks are using that, <laughs> you know, and other sports teams, uh, those are the things that you want to focus on. Those are those courses that, if I was a clinician recommending courses to others, I take this course if you want to get good or good results. Um, and a lot of that is not just therapy; it's uh, it's training and conditioning. So that's why the treat and train, it's the best of both worlds. Because uh, for me, I'm not the, I'm not just one, I'm not a one-trick pony, you could say. Um, if one approach fails, I've got plenty others in, in my bag of tricks. And being a trainer and a therapist just gave, gives me a, a, I'm not saying advantage, it's just that I have a, a, a more experienced background because I had, I guess, more of a privilege to work with the more, you know, I don't want to say dysfunctional, but... Uh, that that type of population, um, as well as 
the supposedly healthy athletic population. And so when you're able to take a little bit from each perspective or from each area and apply it to specifically what's going to help um, what's best for the person in front of you, that to me is a really good clinician. Um, a lot of times we get stuck in our hats. Like, uh, you know, I'm only going to do PRI. I'm only going to do DNS. I'm only going to do SMMA. No, no, the better clinicians know how to integrate. And um, and that's that's why I, I, I'm really uh, pleased to see the, the, the NKT community. It's not just one profession. It's like you said before. It's a whole bunch of different individuals from different backgrounds. It's like a melting pot of, of, uh, of healing arts, so to speak. And uh, we all learn and thrive from each other. And we should all really work together to foster that um, foster that so that we can create somewhat of a new humanity in helping others and being service to others rather than, you know, you know, as, as an entity grows bigger and bigger, problems can ensue and we could tear each other down. That really serves no purpose um, in the greater whole of things. And that's why I go back to if I was the Lord of not just physical therapy, Lord of all healing professions, all medical professions, I would say take a year or two to work on your own shit and, and you know, work on yourself before you work on others. That should be the number one law in the medical field is they should be able to work on themselves before they actually prescribe anything for their patients. Because if you can work on yourself, then you're one step closer from understanding compassion and empathy, putting your shoes putting yourself in your patient's shoes, okay? And that's, that's pretty much what, the, what we're forgetting. I mean, it's part of it. It's part of who we are as our wholeness as human beings, but we forget because we make up these things like, oh, I got to make money. I got to pay the rent. Oh, I got to put food on the table. It's like, you know, what are we, cavemen? It's like, no, food is readily available, <laughs> you know? So... I mean, you know, we make things we make things we make things more complex than they, they really need to be. But I understand making things complex is important for evolution, but sometimes we just get out of hand and that's the typical strategy of uh, the mind and ego. It likes to protect itself, it likes to build walls around us to protect us from a perceived threat. But the problem is the reality of the the reality is there is no uh, the threat is never as bad as what we make it out to be. So that's just hardwired into us to, to help us survive as a species. But like as you see, as I post on Facebook, I'm always about you know creating, contributing to creating a new humanity, uh, one that I'm not going to say be fearless because that's retarded because you have to have fear um, because that, that that helps us survive. If we weren't afraid of things, we wouldn't know how to protect ourselves. Um, but what what I've learned from my shaman training is to have more of a state of fearlessness where you still have fear, but you're not controlled by it. You're not blinded by it. You could still see clearly what are your options, what are your choices. Because when you're based on fear, you don't see too many choices. You don't see too many options. But with fearlessness, you can breathe a little bit better and you could actually see that, oh, you know, if I put this in perspective, it's, things aren't that bad, and I have a plan, and I have this, and I'll, I just have to act on it, et cetera. Awesome. That <laughs> you could have kept going for another 20 minutes. That was awesome. <laughs> I could have. I could have, but I realized uh, um, I had to think about what was the original great. question. I keep going back to the Lord of Physical Therapy. So. <laughs> yeah. No, that was great. That, again, you're just leading me right uh, right into my next you know thoughts here is um you know kind of along the lines of what you're talking about you know your facebook posts um you know where do they come from i mean you're just you know it's you know kathy dooley posts something every day and it's you know it's an awesome experience and that she's having you're posting stuff like you know like rocket fire you know and they're like deep <laughs> thoughts so what where do they coming from well you know um i don't really know but I, if I had to, if I had to guess, um, see, I take uh, I, I take meditation like uh, I look at meditation as as breathing. You know, it's essential to life for me. And when uh, things come to me, or when I uh, I become inspired, 
or, you know, I might read something or I might, you know, be driving to work or talking to the gardener or whatever. And, like, it'll be one or two words and all of a sudden, boom, it'll trigger something. And then that'll just, that'll be, that, that'll have a trickling effect. And next thing you know, I got this, like, 200-word post on Facebook or something because <laughs> it, it just, I would say it comes from the heart, you know. It, it comes from yeah, feeling. And, and this okay, is like, 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 like yesterday, um, you know, it's, you wrote this. Don't fight the unpleasantness. Allow it to pass through you. Filter it and transmutate it into something beneficial for the world. Holding on to something that no longer needs to be held is expending energy that it could have been used for something else. I mean, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. Where did yeah, that, you know, where when did you that read from? that, when, uh, you see, when you read that, I actually forgot that I wrote that. It's, it's kind of like um, the way I describe it is when I get into a flow state where – and what I mean by flow state is where I'm no longer caught in my head. It's not just me thinking about preconceived ideas or something I read or whatever. It's just I let I let the words speak me, so to speak, or I just let it come out, and I'm just like a, a filter um, or an antenna to receive the signal, so to speak. Um, I guess that's the best way I can describe it, where um, it's <laughs> you could say that it's not me writing it, but it is me writing it. And, and this is where I, I'm trying to teach others uh, on another level without me actually having to verbally express it to them and say, listen, this is my soul talking to you. I could talk to your soul. You know, I'm trying to make it as uh, non-threatening to people's belief systems, so to speak, uh, yeah, of yeah, yeah. Where, where I connect with people on another level. Yeah. You know, like when you meet somebody and sometimes you just know right away, wow, I haven't spoken a word of this person. I really like this. Something about this person, I really like. Well, they're just reflecting back to you a vibration or you're resonating with them. You're, they're a specific frequency. You're tuned into them um, that you have. And, and the same thing goes when somebody rubs you the wrong way. So this is what I mean that we're, we're all connected. And then what, uh, and this is also another reason why I don't talk about the shaman stuff as much because I don't see there's a need to. Right. Um, and this is what I mean by when you address your stuff, um, your your own stuff, then when you start treating or working with others, it's a relationship, first of all. And when you could start uh, putting aside your stuff and then be there for that individual, meaning be empathetic, put yourself in their shoes, almost figuratively and literally, meaning that, that you could feel their pain or their suffering or whatever it is. And then because you put your your own stuff, as, as Paul checked, uh, taught me what he called from Native American Indian saying is clear the bone, so to speak. When you clear it, you clean off your slate. And, and if you've ever read the works of Eckhart Tolle about the power of now, you know, being present, uh, just being present with another individual, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what happens because what you're doing by doing that is you are being openly receptive um, to anything that comes through. And I don't know if you've ever if you're ever familiar with the works of Osmic Ganswami. Osmic Ganswami, he's a, a theoretical quantum physicist, whatever that means. But anyway, one of his books was called uh, God is Not Dead. So it was just a, a quantum physicist physicist's version of uh, 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 perspective of of the concept of God and energy, etc. So one of the things he goes into is this process of creativity, because um, we're all we're all pretty much creative beings. You know, um, we create thoughts, we create words, we create actions, etc. We create buildings. You know, we we have all these things. So one of the first things, the first he has in four steps. The first step is like an accumulation phase, and this is a step where a lot of us get stuck in, and this is a step where we accumulate as much knowledge as we possibly can. Okay, so um, we take courses, we get, uh, we read books, we accumulate them, knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. So that's the first stage. The second stage is more of what he calls, a, I guess, an incub incubation period where, you, you, okay, you've accumulated all these facts and information, so throw it out the window. You know, let it simmer, put it away, and, and, and that's the incubation period. And what that does 
is that allows all these waves of possibilities. You ever hear of like quantum quantum uh, theory or whatnot about waves and particles and all these things, waves and particles are one or whatever. So these waves of possibilities of all the possi possible outcomes that can happen. Um, when you put aside your preconceived uh, beliefs or all the facts and everything that you accumulated based on your past experiences, etc., you put that aside, you allow these waves of possibilities to occur. So that's the, the second stage. The third stage is basically you start to pick um, which possible um, ways of possibility uh, or possible outcomes. This is called like the more the inspiring stage where you're in, you're in, it's inspirational. You just oh ding something happened. That's that's kind of where I'm at when I write these posts. So you 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 let these things simmer. You let them pop up, and the ones that resonate the most with you, you pick one. And then from there, we take it to the fourth stage, um, which is what I call you grow corn with it, because in the Andes, uh, because if you ever go to the Peru or Ecuador or the Andes in South America, they have this tremendous corn. The kernels are like the size of like your, your thumbnail. It's just, it blows away the North American corn. So anyway, in the ancient civilization of the Inca, Corn was considered like food from the gods, so to speak. It was like uh, a physical manifestation of gold from from the sun, because they considered themselves the children of the light. So their 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 corn was like equivalent to gold. It was very special. Um, and and so when you say grow corn with it, is you're growing abundance with it. So when you've accumulated the information, you've put it aside, let it simmer, throw it out the window, forget about it, and then you allowed the inspiring waves of possibilities to, to, to come up, and you select one, and now you put it into action, and you grow corn with it, you make the best of it, so to speak. And that's the, the, the process of creativity. And so that's, that's when, when I have these Facebook posts, it's, it's really, you know, we're, we're all born to, for pattern recognition, you know, as a baby, even when we're in the womb or just a cell or whatever it is, we're, we're always looking for patterns. And that's how, that's what we are basically. We're patterned, if you, if you, if you really put that in perspective. But what we do is, um, as clinicians, we're looking for patterns. SFMA, these are all, we're all looking for, for patterns and which ones don't fit and which ones can actually make a good fit to help this person, um, you know, heal or become uh, more whole or, you know, become more functional, whatever you want to say, call it. So when we, uh, when we, you know, I just had a brain fart. <laughs> Lord of physical therapy. No, but seriously, the, uh, the, the, but to be able to, uh, because it's part of our innate, innate nature to, to recognize patterns, um, sometimes that ability to, can become skewed, and then that disrupts the whole creative process. So, for example, if you get stuck in that first stage of accumulating information, and you're just taking course after course after course, and you you've got every certification alphabet after your name, etc. But like, if you're not able to grow corn with that, you know, what good is that, so to speak? Um, and that's that's not you're no longer being creative. You're just uh, you're just becoming like that TV show, The Hoarders. You're just accumulating useless things. So unless you, you, you are willing to throw that away, or put it aside, and, and this is how, if I ever come up with my own Hoxton Institute or Hoxton Approach or whatever you want to call it, it would be, okay, take everything you think you know about a, a person's condition or diagnosis or what you think is going on based on their history, now throw that out the window, okay? Reason being is you're going into that second and third step of the creative process where you're allowing these waves of possibility. You're, you're being openly receptive to that moment of interaction, that moment of relationship with that individual, that other human being before you. Because here's the funny thing, an interesting observation I have. You could, take, you could learn from the best teachers in the world and accumulate as much knowledge as you, as you want, but, like, 
you still don't know um, what's going to happen. You still don't know the outcome. You still don't know. That's why you can't really have any expectations because we never know what's going to happen. Um, and, and I think deep down inside, we're all afraid of that. And that's why we're all afraid of the unknown. The infamous unknown is, is something that we, we don't want uh, to address, we run away from. Um, how do I know that? Well, we do everything we can to protect ourselves. We do everything we can to make as much money and to be successful and to, to not have to have any, uh, have any uh, discomfort or have any bad things happen to us. We'll do whatever we can. Um, we'll, build up our, we'll build up our identity so people can identify us as like a great person so, so that we don't get knocked down or train it hard to be the best fighter so that we don't, don't get knocked out. You know, so many different levels. So we're afraid of the unknown, which is okay, okay, but the unknown isn't something to be afraid of because we face the unknown every day. Right now, boom, you just face the unknown. You didn't know what I was going to say next, but I just said it, but now you know. <laughs> now there's a new unknown. So we forget that the unknown is there to, to really help us, um, to help us grow, basically. And when we're, we're with a patient, sometimes we can get too much in our head. And this is going into what I would recommend to beginners. Because I'm on that NKT Scholars page, and I, I love whenever I can, um, if I can answer somebody, if I think I could answer somebody really well, I'll do it. Um, but what I see is a lot of people, they get too much in their head. Um, sometimes it's because um, they may not have as much background in functional anatomy, whatever it may be. But they, they, they get too stuck in and they get too stuck in the techniques. Um, they, they, they see they they look at the trees rather than the whole forest type of thing, you know, the bigger picture. So they get lost in their head or whatnot. But sometimes what I would recommend is to keep it simple where you just basically stick with what you know, okay? And then that's it. You know, find a simple relationship, find something inhibited, great. Find something that's That'll uh, turn it back on. Great. Okay. Just leave it at that. The patient's still in pain. Great. It's it's a learning process. So you put that all away. Next thing you know, you'll notice. Oh, you know, I heard. I saw him tilt his head this way. Oh, let me check the neck. Oh, and next thing you know, boom, they have one of those. They have one of those uh, really nice uh, complex uh, case studies that you're like, how they figure that out? It's like whenever you read one of those, uh, like sometimes I'll post. Well, I used to, I haven't posted like I used to where I post like, you know, uh, inhibited toenail to facilitated eyelash, you know, something. And then next thing you know, the person's flying, you know, whatever. Something outlandish, but like, you know, how they figure that out. Well, those things don't come naturally. They just kind of, when you're in the flow, it kind of presents to you. So when you throw away all the knowledge that you know, so to speak, or put it aside and trust that everything you'll ever need to know to help that individual that's right before you at that moment is always there for you or else you wouldn't, wouldn't be in your office. They would be working with you. So we have to learn how to trust ourselves and trust the process, uh, that creativity process, that you've done the work or else you wouldn't be in that situation. So that would, you know, that would be my, uh, let me guess, that was your next question, right? That was it. That was the, the, <laughs> the practitioners. You had right in there. Perfect. Awesome. Well, good. And you even answered my question about uh, any interesting cases with the uh, toenail to the eyelash. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I bet Joel Joel Crandell had something like that, (laughs) had a case like that. (laughs) He's got some really, like, really, like, wow, like, oh, wow, how do you think of that type of cases, though? But that's what NKT, the power of NKT and your other other skills and you you develop a clinical eye. We all could be like that, you know, and it just, like, it helped me, it helped me to, to see 40 to 50 patients a day when I was working at that clinic. I got good really fast, and in fact, I was one of the first ones after that first New York City class when David came here um, to start posting case studies. So I was like, boom, 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 and, and then, you know, people like, wow, well, you know, what's this NKT? And then uh, now everybody does it. It's like, now it's a normal, it's a normal standard procedure, so to speak, for the scholars page. Definitely, it's 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 gotten to be pretty pretty interesting with a lot of the different people's backgrounds and the cases they're posting and you know even like you said you know some people kind of 
freak out and aren't sure, and then they post something. And, you know, even when they think it's a stupid question, I mean, it helps us <laughs> even think, yeah. remember, yeah. remember <laughs> the, the basics. It's it's pretty amazing, the whole process. And, you know, I'm glad that you're part of the community and you're answering questions because, again, you have some great knowledge there, as you shared with us uh, tonight. Uh, so, yeah, that that was awesome. And, um, you know, I think as we wind down here, you know, I just want to thank you for uh, joining me. Again, I've been aware of you for a while, and just the past year, you know, your posts have really uh, spoken a lot to me, and uh, I thank you personally for writing some of this stuff, because sometimes I can't get things out of my head, and I see you write it down. I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> like, for example, I have one more thing to read here. You just posted this thing on drama, and uh, every time I read a drama thread as a form of entertainment, I'm reminded of my responsibilities as a father and a husband, where I have to make sure my kids' meals are prepared and cooked, they're fed and taken care of, scheduling patients, revising treatment plans, finishing up leftover paperwork, dealing with insurance companies, billing, time spent marketing my practice, play with my kids, get my daily movement exercise, eat, meditate, unwind, clean up around the house, kiss my wife when she comes home from work, drive off in the city to go to work, and be present and focused for my patients and clients. I mean, that just captured exactly what's going through my head. I mean, that is... <laughs> so thank you for, uh, for, for getting inside my brain. Uh, oh, you're welcome. With my thank soul. you. Well, you know, you know, there was this movie back in the 70s, late 70s, it was called Star Wars. You ever hear that? <laughs> that um, yeah. <laughs> the Jedi Knights and the the Sith Lords and and the 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 Force and everything. That's all it is, man. It's all about it's all about Star Wars. Life is all about Star Wars. It's all about the Force. It really is, isn't it? That's funny because I was going to make a joke that you're posting all these things, and the only thing I post is Star Wars uh, quotes. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's all related. <laughs> I guess it's all related. You're right. That's great. That's wonderful. Excellent. Well, awesome. I could speak to you all night. And, uh, again, uh, I wanted to thank you for joining me tonight on the podcast. So thank thank you so much. And, um, yeah, so, uh, well, I got a couple good upcoming episodes. I got a couple people. John the Greek's coming on. Susan McLaughlin's coming up. Christopher Warden. I got a bunch of other people from the um, the Scholars page all lined up. Michael Hartle, uh, who's an SFG master instructor and NKT provider. I'm very excited to speak to him. He's got some great stuff. Uh, I'll be teaching a level one class in New Jersey in June, a level two class in New Jersey in August. Uh, a level one in September in Detroit, in October in Arizona, and we just added Atlanta. For the first time, we're going to be down in Atlanta, so I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, as always, your feedback is appreciated, so feel free to contact me through Facebook, uh, through my Facebook page, Inside the Brain Of, or the Scholars page. You can always send me an email at CairoRehab at Hotmail.com. So uh, thank you for joining me, and I look forward to speaking to you next time.